I'm Jennifer Reed, the Good Dietitian, and this is Healthy Holy Whole. And tonight, I'm so excited. My special guest is Anisha Mahajan from formerly Toronto, Canada, but she's moved about an hour away. Um, but she's an amazing dietitian doing some amazing things. Um, so she's a full-time doctoral student as well as a mother. Um, she uh, is at the University of Guelph. I probably mispronounced that. Sorry, Anisha. Um, so she uh, does coverage for two hospital networks in Ontario, Canada. She's completed her master's in public health in, and then uh, nutrition and dietetics from Gala Lana School of Public Health of the University of Toronto. Um, her undergraduate degree from Ryerson University in Toronto in nutrition and food. And through her professional educational experiences, Anisha hopes to combine her passion to work in different areas of dietetics, such as clinical community-based research and teaching in the future. So help me welcome Anisha. Thank you so much so much for having me, Jennifer. This is it's so, so, it's so nice to be here. And I'm so excited to see you again. And, and what I want, I want my audience to understand is um, what makes Anisha and I so special is Anisha and I has met one time in person. <laughs> so That's we were right. both accepted um, uh, into the doctorate program at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville. Uh, and we went for our initial orientation. And both of us have taken different paths. Um, but we met during that and um, just this this quick, amazing little bond and we stayed in contact and she has gone on to uh, join a doctorate program up there in Canada. And well, I'm here doing Healthy Holy Hope um, while I figure out the rest of my life. Um, but um, I love uh, talking with Anisha and her experiences. And I think it's always a great idea also to get these other experiences from other places um, and see what is happening um, around the world. Um, you know, it takes us out of our own little, little space um, and gives us a different perspective. And so, um, so yeah, so I just want to open up with, so just, just a little bit of background on you. Just tell us about you, your family, and and um, I noticed from pictures um, on your Facebook page, just this lovely, you know, um, culture um, with your family, and I just this the beauty. Um, and so, you know, just just give us a little bit of about Anisha. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much for having me here, Jennifer. Yeah, it's it's just. It's just funny how, you know, you just meet the person once and then you just have this like really nice friend uh, for life. So it's it's a pleasure being here. Um, so a little bit about myself. So I am uh, currently a full-time doctoral student at University of Guelph and um, it's uh, it's located about one hour, um, one, one and a half hours away from Toronto, Canada, uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, I am right now in my second year um, and preparing for uh, for a lot that's coming ahead. Uh, it's a it's a lot of like statistics courses, take doing writing publications, uh, presenting in conferences, 
looking for you know writing up grants so lots of great exposure i'm learning so much every day i have some really 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 excellent uh, supervisors who are guiding me and uh, putting up with my questions so i really appreciate it they're so patient and kind um in terms of how i got here uh, before that i'd completed um, my master's of public health at Dalalana, as you had mentioned in toronto um i went to university of toronto for that for that degree and i learned um a great deal i was doing a lot of clinical work in in um as a registered dietitian before that so um for now i've been a registered dietitian for about 10 years and i've been practicing uh within like in toronto um i'm also currently working in, i'm working both in rehab and i'm doing acute care as well um so it's it's been it's been a, a mishmash of everything which i like and the reason i decided to kind of choose the path that i did you know undergrad dietetic uh, internship masters in public health um and then pursuing a phd um it's just that i'm looking for like a variety i i want to also see you know where dietetics can really take me so um it's i've learned so much along the way i've loved it i've loved every bit of it i've gotten so many more opportunities as i've gone along and with everything i've i've just learned um so in terms of culture yeah like i i came to canada about 20 20 years ago i think I came in 1999 so that is 2021 years ago right <laughs> I'm like losing my mind you look, you look uh, fabulous for your age you look fabulous <laughs> for your age yeah and I'm probably giving my age away <laughs> the 21 years ago I came from from Delhi um India to Toronto to study and I I was born and raised in India. I came by myself as an international student. My aunt lives here. She took me in. Um and um you know since then it's just been it's just been going like full speed. Um I learned so much in my undergrad degree, but I really feel that after I graduated, I was finally able to get a work permit so I could work in um in dietetics. And before that, because I was an international student, I wasn't able to get as much exposure in the hospitals or other places, right? So I finally kind of fell in love with dietetics after I finished my undergraduate degree because of that exposure. And yeah, and like in terms of culture, my kids are so Indian. <laughs> they go back to India every every year. That's um, wonderful. And so, you know, got a bit of um, got a bit of home um, in us here, living far away from home. But I think that's wonderful. I think that's beautiful. I have uh, quite a mix, even here in Memphis, Tennessee, of my patients. You know, and I have quite a few uh, from India and um, quite a few from Africa and you know different um, Hispanic uh, countries. And um, I I love that. I love. Um, learning from, I think the most important thing as dietitians that we also bring uh, to other cultures is, I don't want you to stop having those foods that are cultural to you. Right. You might have to portion it a little bit, um, but you know, I think that's something that we can do and that we can bring to the table because so often, you know, as as patients with diabetes, the only um, thing the doctor ever says is, uh, "We'll just cut out these foods." 
and you'll be fine. Okay, but what if those foods are cultural? Right. Do we just tell them to stop eating them? So yeah, it, it's it's such a good question, Jen. Um, I um, I definitely feel that uh, you know we can't really we have to work with the patients or clients' cultural food preferences, um, yes. accessibility, like you know food access, um, and also whatever resources they're living within. Um, I think that's what makes dietitians so unique that we are seeing that and we're working we're kind of putting ourselves in the patient's footsteps, as opposed to kind of going in and just pretty much saying, you know, you can eat this, but you can't eat this. Um, I, whenever I go to see my patients, I, the first thing I tell them, I'm not the food police, okay? I'm a regular human being. Yes. I totally understand. Um, in terms of the culture, like South Asians, it's a very, it's a very, I don't know, it's, it's, it's definitely very important to them in terms of food, right? Like, our, our lives revolve around food, our culture, our, our festivals revolve around food. Um, so once, you know, having, getting a, a big diagnosis can like even like diabetes or heart disease can be so earth shattering yes. that, and once they go in for more education, they're being told not to eat some of their cultural foods. That's a little hard, you know, if you put yourself in their shoes. So um, certainly, like, we're, I, I think that's what made, I, I don't know. I, I've worked with some really excellent dietitians like yourself. And, and I certainly feel the same way that we need to kind of work with the people, not, yeah. not you know, come in there and say, Get, cut this off, cut this off, cut this off. Yeah. Um, my husband right. and I recently got to, um, um, we, we spent um, just a day in um, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. Uh, so I know, um, oh. and we were on Bourbon Street, of course. Um, now most everything was shut down, um, you know, so it was, you know, we, we, we practiced safety. Um, and, but we did go into the, the hard rock cafe because my husband collects their glasses. Um, so we're in there, we're talking to this guy, you know, and, um, I just start talking to the young man who's, you know, working there at the little store or whatever. And I, I don't know how we get on diabetes, what we do. He's like, Oh, my mom has diabetes. And you start talking. And then somehow we went to Popeye's, you know, Popeye's uh, chicken is a chain here in the States that originally yeah, from, if you're familiar. Okay. And he was so happy when I told him that the, the small portion of red beans and rice was perfectly fine portion for my patients with diabetes. He's like, you just made my day. Oh, my God. So <laughs> it was like, my mom was going to be so happy. And I'm like, yes, yes, you yeah. can still eat that. Even that yeah. small portion is still perfectly fine on those carbohydrates. And I'm like, you know, it's just, it's just that. Almost all of my patients, when they walk out, they're like, wow, I feel better. Absolutely, like, right? Course, because dietitians are the only people that don't say no. Yeah, we don't take away. Well, we're um, here to give tools and support and help, and not you know, one a role is not to shame about somebody's right. food, right? right? Like exactly. Um, this is this is like I feel like this is my this is my my purpose like that's why i'm here i'm here to support my patients um and um you know quite often when i go into um into my patients rooms or you know for counseling um the first thing they'll say okay tell me what i'm not i can't eat and I'm, yes <laughs> and, 
And I, I pretty much have to stop them and say, I'm not here because of that. I'm here to help you and support yeah. you and, and, you know, meet your goals. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. I, I love that because, yeah, I'm, I, you know, my patients sit down and they say something very similar and I'm like, well, to be honest, you're going to be very happy because there's really nothing, scientifically speaking, you cannot eat. Now, we're going to talk about some portions. Yes. Some exactly. bags, but there's nothing you cannot eat. And they're like, really? I'm like, yes, really. Because <laughs> in the States, you and I actually, um, um, I guess it was last year, you sent me some, um, you'd gone to um, a, a conference or something there and you'd sent me some of the PowerPoints and it was really just talking, even in Canada. So I think... Canada and America are probably the two biggest um, uh, when it comes to the medical community um, right. sort of supporters of, of low carb, high protein. And right. um, so, but, um, but the reality is, um, you know, when I was doing my research for, um, for my presentation with the uh, conference, um, it's like, okay, but really none of that is, at the end of the day proven yeah so it's it all has come out to the wash okay so even the guy who the doctor who sort of started promoting the intermittent fasting thing he's like hey you know this is really good it's working for me let's do a study okay so he just published his study and he's like um yeah my study showed that it didn't have those results so <laughs> oh my goodness fasting yes he stopped doing it so oh we know that any diet can promote weight loss initially. I mean, you can eat a Snickers candy bar for every meal every day and lose weight because you're actually, if that's all you ate, you're promoting a calorie deficit. Of so course. all diets can work. Um, and I think part of the problem is because we don't have those um, licensed registered dietitians that are really at the front of promoting good, healthy eating habits. You know, so you've got all these these diet gurus you know that are you know lacking to you know um the snake oil salesmen of you know the west um but they've got the louder voice but it's yeah. like a 66 billion dollar a year repeat customer business exactly it's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry when it comes to weight loss and of course like the louder voices will be out there too right they're trying to promote sales and money is always often the bottom line so um certainly like in these kind of cases, like I really push my clients to kind of look more, look, do more investigation mm -hmm. um, in terms of, um, you know, if they are looking into intermittent fasting or low carb, um, high protein, I, I, you know, of course, this is everybody's choice. We all have a choice to kind of decide um, where dietitians. Um, so we call them registered dietitians here. Uh, I think our terminology well, is a little we're different, right? Here, but yes, we're we're, we're registered, registered dietitians, licensed nutritionists. Exactly. Yeah, we're registered dietitians as well. Yeah, so um, certainly, like we do come in and we will provide all the nutrition evidence. I mean, certainly, dietitians are the experts in nutrition. We've studied this, we've gone to school for it, we've gone through rigorous, you know, dietetic internships. Like, I, they are so competitive here, J oh, Jennifer. Like, I did, right? Oh my God, those those internships, I, I still feel my heart goes out to all the dietetic interns. Like it is a very hard process. It's becoming tougher and tougher. Well, to get in. Because with COVID, I just had to turn um, an intern away. 
because we just cannot, um, I can't be a preceptor right now because um, with COVID, we're not really accepting outsiders in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with my loss of, you know, patients, I just, I don't have quite, it's, it's coming back, but I don't have quite the patient load even. Um, yeah. And I didn't think that we could really fully give her what she needed for her internship right now. So, you know, I, I know she could possibly, you know, go to the hospital, but I know that we just, we just, we couldn't support that right now. And so I hate that. Uh, it's such an unfortunate time also for it students is. like it, it delays it delays the internship um that's so heartbreaking to hear but it's tough i think it's tougher for the preceptors at this point and for the the dietetic interns so certainly like i feel like this process has become tougher and tougher and there's also a push over here to kind of uh, for dietitians to you know i mean as we are going along when we're comparing um to you know speech language pathologists or or uh, physiotherapists or occupational therapists everybody has all these professions have their um, master's degree and here um, we can get like a, we can do our undergrad degree and then get into a dietetic in internship and become a dietitian or we can also go through the master's route yes. right there's multiple routes um, but certainly there's more and more push it seems like there's more and more push becoming towards like doing the master's route as well yeah. to consider it here, here in the States as well. So I have oh, my masters and almost all the dietitians that I know or worked with um, have their masters because um, it really is just, you know, I think the academy here as well is just really pushing that we also right. have that master's degree. Um, right. So a lot of our undergraduate programs um, and internship programs just sort of include now um, that master path. Right. Um, and wow. so, so I think it is huge. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think we were talking uh, before uh, in the intermission uh, about licensing. And so I don't know how it works there, but here, um, you know, you can take an online course and call yourself a nutritionist. Oh no, um, <laughs> it's the same here. <laughs> it, used, now, it is still a pet peeve of mine. I'm like, no, that's not okay. <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be mean about it, but, but at the same time, you know, now what I will say is several states, including Tennessee, so my state, we do have safeguards. And so um, there are certain, you know, you can be a health coach per se, right? You can maybe be, um, do a little um, basic nutrition as a trainer, but you cannot touch. So medical nutrition therapy is is a license and it is protected and um, you cannot touch you can't cross over into any area of clinical um, right because that's that's illegal now um there is a fight a legal fight um an academy just sent me an email um the other day um i think it's in the state of florida so there is uh someone as an attorney who is trying to erase that so he's trying to do away with licensing so he wants anybody and everybody to be able to teach nutrition, but I'm like, okay, but here's the oh thing God. that yeah. they don't understand is, okay, so number one, we both, by the time, I'm, I'm sure it's the same in, in Canada as it's here, by the time we're done with that didactic program, um, we're pre-med. Yep. So I could go into a physician assistant, well, if it hadn't been so many years ago when I did my program, let's just say that <laughs> it's been so long, they might make me retake some things, but we have, we actually have more chemistry background than even nursing students. 
Um, and so we come out sort of this pre-med um, arena and that's different than just, you know, people do not have a true understanding of what nutrition is. It's an actual science. Yeah. But in America, I think nutrition comes down to, for the general person, belief and ideology. I believe something, so it must be true. Yes. Um, and I'm like, no, 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 wait a second. Um, the science says this. Right. So we sort of have to follow. So as dietitians, we're promoting evidence-based, as you said earlier, where it's evidence-based. So, you know, yeah. just like the doctor who did the intermittent fasting study and realized it's like, okay, so people need not follow anecdotal studies. And that's sort of the problem in America is so much of our studies. And I quoted you um, something from, um, so uh, I found this research from my presentation um, and I, I found it absolutely fasc fascinating. Um, so um, this Dr. Patel, he's assistant professor at the Department of Biomedical Informatics at Harvard Medical School. Um, and he said, looking at, like they pulled out a million studies and he was like, I have a million nutrition science studies, maybe a few hundred are long enough, large enough, and good enough to actually base any kind of claims on. Yet right. every day there's a new study. And if the average person, so I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently um, about you know um, sugar addiction or corn syrup addiction. I'm like, well, that's actually not been proven. Oh, but it has, hasn't it? They've done the study. Yeah, they did the study. And those researchers said, we believe this. Even though, remember the cute little professor when we was um, down there for our doctorate, um, who was the research uh, professor? Um, I, I'm embarrassed I can't remember her name, but she said in in um, that when we were with her that one day um, that you know no study can we say A equals B, right? So the researcher mm -hmm. might still feel at the end of the study he still believes it, right? Yep. Um, but it doesn't make it so. But the average person might not understand that. And so I, you know, so I, I, I showed her, I was like, okay, so yeah, the study's been done, but there was other studies that did it and looked at it and said, okay, well, we don't really see that because that particular study that pinpointed to possible addiction was done on mice. And well, what happens in mice doesn't always transfer over into human beings. Right but no human being wants to sign up to be a rat. <laughs> so there so, so lies well, some of the problem with nutrition science studies is they're not right. controlled. You know, they're observational, they're, um, you know, sort of um, correlational, you know, so like that's kind of like saying out of a thousand bald men, they all drink Coke, so they must all be bald because they drink Coke. Well, no, that's not how that works either. That's right. what we have in the States. Even yeah. in the medical community, um, that's what we see is we see a lot of ideology and belief in our studies. Um, and that's and because there's no regulation on those kind of diets and those kinds of things, and anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, um, I think that's where we get confusion. So we right. have bad studies. We have um, anybody can, you know, sort of put a diet out there and say, hey, look at me and look at this. You should do this. And so the general public, it's all this confusing information. Yeah. And to peel back those layers of years of bad information yeah. to try to help them just be better with their diabetes. You know, there's just always so much unpacking to do, Jen. Jen, I'm going to come back to your point about 
training and you know it just it, it just makes it just breaks my heart to kind of hear that, like how much work that registered dietitians are doing to kind of get more and more education um and then as opposed to like yep anybody can take one nutrition course and can allow them you know can call themselves a nutritionist and i totally understand the reasoning probably behind it yeah. um, but we go through a lot a lot of training a lot of years of experience a lot of patient care and it's not only like one area we do multiple we go into multiple areas so right now in my acute care position, I'm pretty much thrown into anything and everything. And I, I love it. I love it. So I'm like, bring it on. So um, it is oncology. It is um, not I see you yet. I'm going to get there someday. But I have to prove myself first. <laughs> yeah. So oncology, general medicine, diabetes. I'm a diabetes educator as well over here. Um, as well. Along with that medicine, you know, general surgery floors. So it's and rehab it they've just like i i love it because i get thrown into anything and i want to be able to kind of handle it and i am handling it so far so far my closest is helping (laughs) (laughs) well lots of support from my colleagues um which is just always phenomenal right that's always god sent um but yeah like and i and i think the reason i think also with the phd what's really helping is that i'm able to kind of look at research differently i'm able to understand the reasoning behind why certain research studies are are done a certain way and you know there're always going to be limitations there's always going to be limitations because we cannot create a perfect research study if there's a perfect research study with perfect funding i'd love to read it yes yes (laughs) but you know um I also have to say that um, I, I was telling my my supervisors the other day that you know everybody wants to know the results, but nobody looks at the blood, sweat, and tears of the researchers <laughs> that goes behind in that like mega mega like work that gets done. I know everybody reads a research paper and then they decide whether they like it or they don't, but every research paper takes a very long time and i'm learning that and i'm learning i'm learning the value of it every single day <laughs> well i'm fixing i'm fixing to to learn that value because uh, as i shared with you i'm i'm uh getting um to be a part of a research trial for a particular diabetes medication that will also improve the weight loss. But I'm also spearheading, um, which is, I'm so excited about this. I've been trying to get this together for a year. Um, I'll be, I'm spearheading a research project with uh, Baptist Oncology to try to set some sort of sugar protocols to help control those, those blood sugars for my patients who have diabetes that are going through cancer treatment because we have sort of forgotten about those. We, we treat the cancer, but we don't treat the blood sugars. I'm like, okay, but those, what does it matter if we cured them of cancer, but now we've killed their kidneys because we didn't control those blood sugars. Why can't we do both? So, so I, you know, we're gonna um, bring in some pharmacy interns and let them help write it so we can get published, but I'm, I'm fixing to find out how hard that, that research is, but but it is so worthwhile when you can actually make a difference, but it's gotta be a real difference, you know? So, so just knowing, like you said, what as dietitians, um, I'm sure there are too, but the academy here holds us accountable. For, Absolutely. You know, so, so we Thank have you. levels of research. We, 
we number that research as to you know how good that research is and and can okay. we use that to actually for our standards um, oh. because we're held to very high standards here we have to meet you know certain in our, our documentation on each patient you know um, and so so that is part of you know the academy and part of us being registered dietitians here that, that might be something different that um, um, your academy is doing than ours. Sorry, I, I kind of misunderstood. But yeah, that's total. I've not I've not seen that here. Like we don't we don't include the level of research that we're kind of translating into patient care. Um, but we certainly will write out like where we got our information from. Um, so yeah, that's kind of really interesting. I should. It, you, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, because you can go to um, our academy, um, eatright.org, and yeah. um, it actually, for us, like, um, it actually lists, okay, so th this level research is is here, and this one is, you know, so it, it numbers them as to how good okay. it is, and that's how we sort of, we use that as our cue to sort of gauge that research study, and, and right. it helps us to to make sure that what we're teaching is absolutely evidence-based. Um, okay, because, yeah. you know, that's pretty good. We have something called we have something called Pen Nutrition, and then they do the grading of evidence for us as well. Um, and, or like we go into, I guess, multiple different sites where you can get that information. But yeah, I, it's not being promoted. I, not that I know of. Maybe it is from our our, our all of Canada dietitians of Canada body. But um, I'll definitely look into this. That's that's yeah. interesting. And I'll I'll see if I can take a screenshot of what I'm talking about and send it to you. Yeah, I'd love um, that. Because, Thank you. Because it does help us. Like I said, it I think what hurts, you know, what what I found in my research was uh, recently was um, diabetes and obesity have risen at the same rate of fat diets in America. Gosh. So and all of the chronic complications related yeah. to diabetes, amputations, heart disease, kidney disease, eye blindness, all have also risen. That shouldn't be. So if fad diets are not making us any healthier, why are we still promoting them? Well, it's exactly. non-registered dietitians that are promoting them. What we promote is is harder sometimes, I think, for our patients because it gives them choice. But they right. also have to do a little more planning. Now it's not I I don't put all of it at the blame of my patients. I don't I don't do that because I understand some of my patients are working crazy hectic jobs. Um, yes. They have family. They're caring for six family members. There's a lot that goes into why we as Americans are not cooking as much and spending as much time in the kitchen. Now, COVID changed that for some of us. You know, some people it aren't did. cooking more. Um, it did. But, you know, but we were forced to. But, you know, yeah. so there's a lot of things to unpack there. So it's not just, but, but we have to realize that if we had, out of all the research, if yep. we had the perfect combination yep. of those macronutrients, wouldn't we have found it by now? Yep. Wouldn't we know by now if low carb works better than anything else or high protein or, or, or any kind of super fat food. Or, or low fat? If we had the perfect yep. combination. Yep. Wouldn't we know it by now? And wouldn't I we think I it? think we would have. Like um you know, nutrition research certainly like kind of really jumped up in the two thousands and over here at least. Um I, I, I guess it's North America. I think in two thousands, like it just kind of like went up. But we still we've been in it for twenty years at least, but you know, 
um, certainly you're right. Like we would have gotten a lot more answers so far. Yeah. But I guess I guess there's still more work to be done, and um, I certainly don't see the the crazy benefits of the fat diets. But I do get you know why somebody would like to try it, as long as there's no harm done. Of course, like I do do kind of you know explore why the patients are trying to kind of look into the fat fat diets and you know what's the attraction towards it, um, but. Certainly, I mean, my the first thing first thing that comes to my mind is always like, are we mitigating any harm, right? Like mitigate right. Right. is is the diet going to cause harm? Is the diet going to you know the type of dietary pattern that the the patient or the client chooses to follow is that detrimental to their their health outcomes? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm using big words, but what that really means is that you know we just I just want the patients who are coming through our doors or who I'm going to see, I just want them to have, you know, good health, good knowledge, equipment with knowledge, and then make their decisions. So uh, certainly, yeah, that's such a big, big part um, of our, usually of our, um, of our counseling. Yeah. I usually try to help them to understand that what we're trying to do together is, to benefit them in, in the long term. So we're looking at that exactly. long term health go um, yep. and not short term. And all diets look at short term goals. And all exactly. my doctors seem to be more than happy with, you know, short term goals for their patients. Okay, so their patient, you know, gets her A1C down very quickly. Okay, okay, good, you're done. We're fine. Yeah. Okay, but like for how long that, that weight loss is only initially gonna help your patient. Okay, so two, three, four, five years down the road, that's not helping them. It's 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 how they're eating and taking themselves care of themselves every day. So we in America also have to stop being so short sighted and think about the long term health benefits. Absolutely, of that honestly, and, it's and- it's definitely all over the world. This is such an important point that like you know we always kind of look at the okay next few months, next few months, bring your A1C down. Um, but no, it's like bringing not only bringing the blood sugars down. It's something that you know when like. You know, when we're t- choosing a dietary pattern, we want to stick it out for life. We want to make sure it's sustainable. We want to make sure that, um, you know, this is what we can, we can live with and our families can live with. Not only us, but our families are also doing yes. it. Like if we are also going on like fad diets, sometimes it's so hard on our families because, you know, there's so many restrictions. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't, wouldn't want to. Um, you know, put anybody through that ever. So certainly it's always like best to work with whatever works for the patient and their family, their situation, you know, access, um, you know, yeah. security. Don't always take into consideration um, food access and food insecurity. And so yep. right now with the pandemic, so prior to the pandemic, I think our, our number of uh, families suffering from food insecurity was, I don't know, might've been around 32 million. That was before wow pandemic now so you know if you are suffering from food insecurity or you know even access to good healthy foods um fad diets don't work for you either yeah so um so just finding you know i had a patient who um um you know we're talking and we're you know we're we're building this relationship and this trust and she's like well i was like so tell me a day Give me a give me an idea. What's sort of a typical day as far as eating and drinking habits? What does that look like for you? And she's like, honestly, 
sometimes I only have a dollar for lunch and all I can afford is the macaroni and cheese in the cafeteria. I was like, okay, we can work with that. You know, so to make her feel better and make her feel empowered and not make her feel bad because yep. she's eating macaroni and cheese. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We're here, we're here to empower people. Yes. And the other thing I did was um, I collaborated with the Mid-South Food Bank. There's one of my kids. Um, uh, and I was able to provide two boxes of food for all my patients who um, had um, who were on Medicaid, Medicare, or self-pay. So if they were f suffering from any kind of food insecurity, I had two boxes of food I could give them. Oh, wow. And I did that for two years. Um and yeah, wow. and that was that was kind of huge, and that was always a great feeling. I was able to give that young lady two boxes of food. That's amazing. See that that um, that, that those are really good stories to hear. Um, here, when it comes to you know income, there's sometimes like a dead end um, where we're just like struggling to kind of get more resources, right? Um, so we have something called a special diet allowance form which can be kind of completed by the dietitians here um, or registered dietitians or from doctors, um, by doctors. It's just to give at least like a small amount of money that the patients can get, um, uh, you know, if they're living with specific conditions like hypertension, dyslipidemia, and it's also on disability specifically. So, you know, you have to be so resourceful um, and to, of course, like over here also, um, there's a whole body of research which looks at food insecurity and they have pretty much pretty much concluded that higher food insecurity leads to more hospitalizations, yes. um, leads to, you know, more chronic disease. And unfortunately, it's such a vicious cycle. We're really trying hard to... Um, to counsel patients in like such an environment and now with covid that just amplifies that just amplifies everything right yes. like um people are isolated mental health is also on the rise concerns are also on the rise um so, so certain depression like, and and that eating yeah yeah like comfort I mean, there's there's just this is just bringing a whole new I don't know, a whole, it's opening a whole big can of worms, right? Like, so um, I guess like we're, we're definitely headed um, to, to helping our patients more, but certainly like, I guess, you know, this would be the only way to go for now is just like, keep trying, keep trying yes. and hoping, yes. hoping for the best that there are more yes. resources available for everybody. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm just, you know, I, food insecurity and hunger is um, huge for me. Um, yeah. That has got a special place in my heart. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm so passionate about, you know, helping everyone out, you know, and making sure everyone gets um, their best health. Um, yeah. um, and so um, if anyone that has any kind of control over Trader Joe's um, is listening to this podcast, call me because we have a Trader Joe's right next to my work. So I can walk up to Trader Joe's and I can get inexpensive, healthy food. Wow, Trader Joe's great. Is, Trader Joe's is right there by me though, in yeah. a nicer area of you know the big city here, Germantown. Um, it's not in those neighborhoods yeah. where people are experiencing that food insecurity or they're experiencing, uh, like you said, 
those those less healthy foods. And we, you know, yeah. the ADA here did a study on it as well, as far as food insecurity and how that affects the diabetes population. Okay, well, the wow. foods that are um, more economical for them are going to be those those highly processed carbohydrates that are high in sodium, exactly. fat, um, ultra processed foods. Yes, and so, but that's what they can afford. That's what they have access to. But if we could get Trader Joe's into these neighborhoods and actually have dietitians working for Trader Joe's to help walk people through that store. Wow. Help, help them to figure out, okay, so how, how, because I did, I went there and I showed my patients, I took pictures and I bought a week's worth of meals and they were fairly convenient. So some of the, some of the stuff was frozen and some of the stuff was, you know, um, something that was um, fresh in there. Like they have chicken breast. All I got to do is pop in the microwave. It's already flavored right. and everything. So I showed how to put together a week's worth of meals for under a hundred dollars. Good for you. Um, and That's I so good. I counted up the carbs, counted up the fats, you know, and I was like, okay, so this is doable. This is, is as inexpensive as going through the drive-through, but it's going to be healthier and it's going to be better. But again, right. we only have one Trader Joe's in this entire big city. Oh my goodness. So we've got to get those stores and those options for people in those areas that have some of those higher rates of those chronic complications like dyslipidemia, heart disease, diabetes, right. all of those issues that they're suffering hypertension uh, and get them that access, but have that registered dietitian available. You know, I feel like in America, if when we started the food stamp program, yep. if we would have had registered dietitians on staff at that time, to help show people how to use those food stamps, how to make those food dollars go farther and last longer, then we would have healthier families. Uh, because they just, you know, um, because now I understand they get into a cycle as well. And, yep. you know, because I worked with those families when I was in Nebraska and I worked um, a special year long um, grant with the University of Nebraska. Um, and um, we were to go into the homes of those who were on their welfare program. And uh, we actually, uh, my group, we actually won a, uh, an award that year because we would go into their homes and whatever it was, um, whether it was food um, mm -hmm. or, you know, even just sort of basic parenting skills and things like that, what kept them on welfare? Okay, so, so their mindset is, I'm now getting this lump sum of money for groceries here, okay? Well, you get in a cycle of because you don't necessarily think long term because when you're when you're in that situation, you're just thinking maybe sometimes about tomorrow. Am I going to have money tomorrow? Am I going to have gas tomorrow? Right. Um, and we're going to have electricity tomorrow. So you get in that mindset. And so you get this lump sum of money for groceries and you and your children, you're excited and you go and you get all this stuff. And before you know it, before the end of the month comes, you bring out of money for food. And so it then starts to cycle. And you don't yep. know how to because, you know, so you get that new yep. sum of money and it just starts all over again. That's what the research says, right? Our, the priorities go, to, the money goes to the priority priorities of the, the family. Um, and typically that's rent. Typically that's yes. like, you know, um, electricity. And then how much money will be left over for food? Yeah, exactly. So, so certainly there's a big push for basic income over here. I don't know about U.S., but um, a guaranteed basic income um, was also pre-COVID um, that was being discussed. Um, there were pilots that were happening over here as well. Um, and so certainly that that is another um, solution that is being looked at. I know that there are so I know that that topic has come up. 
and I know that there are some cities um, mm -hmm. as well. I think here in the states, um, I think um, um, California might have some cities. I think there are some places that are trying it. Yeah. Um, but again, I feel like if we don't provide that education, it's not. It's 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 not. It's not going to help. Yeah. Yeah, you know, certainly. we have to help them. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. We just assume that because it's 2020, that everyone should know that this particular food is not good for them. And this, you know, but again, for me, um, I tell my patients food is cultural, it's social, it's spiritual, it's a, it's a lot of things to us. And that doesn't make it bad. Yeah. But so you have, you know, it's geographical. So you have people in the South, you know, like here, who grew up eating certain Foods. It's very, it's, it's, it's cultural, but it's also geographical. Um, and so we have to find a way to sort of help them. Okay. I don't want to take those things away necessarily, but how can we have those things a little healthier? Um, yep. And so again, I don't always find that people, I find less people actually know than don't know. Yeah. So, you know, we just assume everyone should know what we know, but they don't. Yes. And once they know, they're like so excited. They're like, what? This is, I, I can do this. Yes, you can do this. Exactly. Um, it makes such a difference to them. And that's what makes such a difference for me. It's yeah. that, you know, like that just makes it make my day. <laughs> yes. I had a patient today um, and she come in, her and her husband, they're as cute as they can be. Her masks always match her tops. Aww. She had a lace mask and a lace, just, just as cute as they can be. And um, she said, my doctor told me to give this to you. And she handed me this piece of paper. And it had her starting A1C and her A1C now. She had dropped that A1C five points in a month. Oh. Yes. yes. And she's only on metformin, which is the most basic medication. So that A1C didn't drop because of metformin. It dropped because of the change that she, she made. Because give her the tools, give her the resources, the education, the information. She put it into practice. And she dropped that A1C by five points. Her doctor... Her doctor wanted he, he he said give that to her. Wow, that's that huge. Is amazing. That is, it is huge. It's huge. That is and huge. With even every one percent, like you're bringing down the risk down so much. So yes, that's, that's, that's what I was like. That's have uh, no that's idea. Yeah. Wow, yeah, and this was idea. this was based on education. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. so our, our education program is um, so you meet with. Uh, us as a registered dietitian certified diabetes educator well i don't know here in the states they change it we're not certified diabetes educators anymore we're certified diabetes care and education specialists Ooh, we're certified diabetes educators here yeah they changed our title um that's like a long here. fancy title yeah hey. so. <laughs> doesn't mean anything to most people but <laughs> um so uh so they have a visit with us um and that's usually about an hour and we it's it's what we call an assessment and so we assess where they're at, we look at all their labs, and we do that 24-hour recall. We try to get an idea of who they are. Um, then we set them up. So we have three separate classes, um, and they're each two hours long. So the first one covers everything from on diabetes from A to Z and covers those chronic complications and how to prevent them. The second one's more nutrition and physical activity. Um, and the third one's all about medications. So it covers blood pressure medications, cholesterol medications, and of course, diabetes medications. So we divide it up into those three classes for them. Then we bring them back in one-on-one -on -one and do that medical nutrition therapy with them. 
Um, and so we're setting a meal plan with them in that first visit. We're calculating those calories, those carbs, and then we walk them through. And so it's about a month to two months, um, depending on when we can get them in on the classes and how long it takes them to get through that. And so she started, she came to me at the beginning of September, um, got through all of her classes. So she was back today for that, that medical nutrition therapy visit. And yeah, five, yeah. five point drop in that. That is phenomenal. Drop. That is phenomenal. Yeah. See, education has so much power. It does. It, and, and it's the support too, right? Like we, the, the support and then the education and getting it from, um, of course, the correct information. Yes. <laughs> it makes Which it is what she said. It was so funny because she's like, yeah, she's like, you know, you're right. You know, she's, she hasn't even told so many of her family members. She's like, because, you know, most of my family, they have diabetes, but they're not, they're not taking care of them. So they're not well. She's like, my sister's blood sugar is one, three, four, five hundred. Cause she still eats whatever she wants. She's like, so I'm not going to get my information from her. She's like, I'm going to yes. get it from you. And yeah. it's made the difference. She saw black and white numbers, the difference that it made. Oh, wow. now, she did all the work. I just, you know, we gave her the information, yeah. the resources, the tools. She did all the work, but I was like, there's no way metformin dropped her A1C that much. No, it's, no, it's, that's it's not really metformin. That is no. her, her and your hard work for sure. I said that, so that there's be. another difference. Um, it, American uh, units are different than Canadian. So I work with millimoles per liter, and you work with milligrams per deciliter for uh, yes. for sugars. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that's why you threw me off a little when you said hundred. Oh, I was like, oh my god! <laughs> I just skipped a beat, so but had, that's okay. Now I understand. Yeah, well, she, yeah, she had an A1C of eleven and dropped it down yeah. to a seven. Oh wow! She brought she brought her. So that's the percent. Um, yeah, that's the percent that's of A1C. Actually, good yeah, exactly. Good for her. Well, good for her and good for you. It seems like. Yeah. You know, certainly, um, it's it's always um, good to have that other perspective as well, right? In the learning, so this is great, great information. Always nice to hear success stories. It is, it is, and and I will I will give my program just because um, my other educator, Kimberly Spreckelmeyer, is is going on to to other um, areas. She's she's actually moving out of the city. She's oh, wow. close to family, and she's going to take a job up in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. But but thanks to her efforts as well and the efforts of my little uh, clinic and department, I tell you, um, I've been part of a research um, program, so to speak. Um, so when I took over this program in 2016, um, myself um, and three physicians uh, within Baptist and then um, one um, COO um, sort of formed this little uh, cohort. Um, and we started out with just their three little clinics and it's like, okay, so if we get them to this education with Jennifer and Kimberly, can we make a difference in that A1C versus just medication? Right. So four years later, um, we've been able to prove that if a patient comes through our program has a greatest drop in A1C than if they don't, or um, they've actually been keeping track of whether or not they come to our program or go somewhere else in town. And we have a 1.7 advantage um, over any other program in town as far as dropping A1C. Oh my God, look at that. Look, in tracking information makes such a big difference. That's really awesome. Does. So one of, our, one of our doctors who really spearheaded um, the, the data collection and sort of helped build this within the EPIC system. Oh, um, that is was, so he actually got, um, So I got accepted to speak at um, the Diabetes Educator Conference. He got accepted to speak at the 
national sort of worldwide epic. Um, That's amazing. Which also did not happen, but we, you know, just because of what we've been able to pull together and do, and um, it's it's incredible what the, what good stuff we can do. Um, good information, right information, uh, evidence based right information. Um, but you know, we still it's still a little bit of a struggle um, to help get doctors to understand. You know, um, we the the data goes out has gone out to all they they know, but there's still just a little bit of I don't want anybody telling me how to treat my patient or how to take care of my patient. I'm like. Mm. Well, I don't want to tell you, but then just do your job. <laughs> because your yeah. patient's continuing to get sick, okay? Yeah, yeah um, no, that's, it's it's a hard one, right? Like, it's a tough one when there's, like, difference of opinions and um, difference in practice. So, um yeah, it's it's something that we deal with it on a with on a daily basis. Um, I, I mean, as registered dietitians, when I was working full time, it's certainly like we all have our different in opinions. Um, but in the end, if it's a highly functioning team, I think that's what matters. We are on a team because mm -hmm. we all make a difference. We yes. all all yes. different perspectives, whether a speech language pathologist, whether a yes. social worker, whether a registered yes. dietitian, whether a physiotherapist, whether occupational therapists. I mean the list and medical doctors, nurses, yes. pharmacists, yes. the list just goes on and on and on, right? Yeah. Like we all yes. are on a team because we, we all are. make a difference. Yeah. We just we just have to get that team player thought process um sort of you know um expanded out um yeah. you know we just really need to get that thought process and you know it's really about um the holistic approach to the patient and you know that patient's not just a person with diabetes they're a person from head to toe and yeah. so you know there's a whole lot of nutrition that goes on there we can't just focus on those blisters we can't just focus on you know this cholesterol we have to focus on the whole entire person the whole entire body and and you know just um and i um I will admit I don't, I'm, I'm um, maybe not as diplomatic as you or even my other educator, Kimberly. I'm a little bit more like, um, I don't know if you ever watched that show, Parks and Rec. Um, no, so Parks and Rec, uh, there's character Leslie Nope, um, look her up. Yeah, I'm probably a little bit more like her and it's really <laughs> oh, hard yeah. for me to, to, to always be political. My boss has even told me before, she's like, I need you to be nice about us. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean. I, you know, Baptist has given me a wonderful ability to spend so, my job. I have so much time to spend with my patients and I can, yeah. I can bring faith based counseling in, you know, um, they're so, you know, it's, they're so supportive of diabetes. It's wonderful. Um, but for me, okay. Black is black, you know, there's, there's sometimes no gray area for me. And, you know, when you're talking politics, when you're talking egos, when you're talking these other things, okay, well, obviously there is. But, you know, for me, my husband's like, you know, when you're wrong, you're extremely humble. But when you're right, he's like, you're kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> Your like, husband this. knows you well. Oh, my God. I've enjoyed having you so much i've enjoyed seeing you well thank you so you. much for having me and, and um and i think you're wonderful i even oh. when you're being honest you're not mean this is <laughs> this is important right like sometimes it's very important for all of us to put our our uh, perspectives forward and 
And of course, like, um, you know, not everyone's going to be happy with it, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm always just fighting for my patient. Yes, I'm always exactly. Just fighting for my patient and for the best care that my patient can get because each patient that sits down in front of me is like a member of my family. They should get as good a treatment and education and information as I would my family member. And so I take special, you know, I, I just, I, I form this specialness within them. I'm like, okay, you're going to get the best that we can give you. Well um, said. And sometimes well said. that sort of, you know, it's like, okay, well, you need to maybe tone that down a little bit, um, Jennifer, but uh, I do always, I do always have the best intentions. Um, yeah, my patients, uh, I do, and absolutely know, it matters. You know, it absolutely. matters to their health. Um, so um, I, I, and as soon as uh, Canada opens back up, my husband's been up there. Yes, I, I know. Yes, I remember. Um, he's he's been up there even since COVID. So they've allowed him in. He's gone to uh, Toronto. He's gone to. Uh, he just got back from Newfoundland. Okay. Um, so he's been allowed to come in and work. Um, but I, as of yet, cannot travel because I'm not essential up there. So, but as mm -hmm. soon as it opens back up, um, I am coming up and we're going to come see you. Oh, for sure. We'd love that, Jen. Yeah. We'd yeah. love that, Jennifer. Well, thank you so much again for having thank me. you so much. And uh, accommodating my request. Same here. This is so wonderful family. to reconnect. And, um, well wishes. Stay, continue to stay safe. And, um... Maybe when this is all over, I can come see you and we can get actual real hugs. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my God, everybody's gonna be getting awkward long hugs after yes. <laughs> after COVID's over. <laughs> well, yes. nice seeing you, and thank you again nice for having me on the show. Stay thank safe you. and well. Bye. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye. -bye.